Are you a writer or coach? Do you dream of building a successful online business? Are you tired of hearing the gurus tell you that you need a big launch or a complicated funnel software? Whether you're struggling with self-doubt, imposter syndrome, or just feeling overwhelmed by too many choices, I can help. Hi, I'm Jonathan Milligan, author of Your Message Matters, and I recently put together a free on-demand video training called How to Build an Online Business as a Writer or Coach the Low-Tech Way. Inside, you'll discover the low-tech system that 30 x my online business. Just go to freetrainingvideo.net to get started. Again, that's freetrainingvideo.net. Hello, and welcome to the Blogging Your Passion podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Milligan, where we're on a mission to help a thousand bloggers go full-time in the next five years. And today, I'm excited to have Jeff Sanders here. He's a good buddy of mine. He is a keynote speaker. He's the author of The 5 A.M. Miracle. He's also the host of a great podcast called The 5 A.M. Miracle Podcast. He's been nominated for five podcast awards and has exceeded well over five million downloads and more. And I brought Jeff on today because I'm excited about a brand new book coming out that all of you need to go pick up. I think it'll be a real encouragement to you. It's called The Free Time Formula, Finding Happiness, Focus, and Productivity No Matter How Busy You Are. So Jeff, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, so I love talking about this conversation. First of all, because I am like a productivity junkie, not just because I want to be like this uh, productivity robot that's like super productive and has, you know, no life, but I want some, I want to be somebody who just, I'm clicking on all cylinders, right? My relationships are good. My health is good. Uh, what I do for work is good. And it's easy for us to get that out of balance and get that out of whack. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. In fact, I want to start by actually talking about a little bit of your story and kind of a, an aha moment or uh, one of those pivotal moments in your life that was related to a trip to the ER. Do you mind sharing? Sure. This is kind of my, uh, one of my, my worst moments in my life. <laughs> now I get to talk about it all the time because it's you know, the centerpiece for my new book. And that's kind of how the whole thing kind of kicked off is that it was about a year ago now. I was working on a number of projects. Um, I'm a very ambitious guy. I drink a lot of coffee, do a lot of stuff. I teach productivity advice. It's kind of, you know, my kind of my lifestyle and business is all based around getting a lot of stuff done. And I was, you know, definitely living that life a year ago, had so much on my plate that I was excited about, like lots of cool projects. And I basically overscheduled myself to death for the like three months solid. And then of course, because I had no margin or free time built in, I had no ability to be flexible. And so then things began to show up that I didn't see coming that I had to take care of. And my schedule went from crazy to just completely chaotic, really, really fast. And in the middle of all of that, I was launching a, a, a product on my website and I was up late working on it, uh, finishing the last day of the launch and I was eating a big salad. I just worked out that day. I was feeling really good, but I was eating way too fast and I basically didn't chew my salad well enough. The food got stuck in my esophagus and I had what later on was told was an esophageal spasm, which I wasn't choking, like I could still breathe, but the food was jammed in my esophagus right next to my heart. 
And so it felt like a heart attack. And my, my chest began to like kind of cave in. I couldn't breathe well. I got nauseous, lightheaded, thought I was going to pass out, thought I was going to die. It just it got real intense real fast. And so my wife called an ambulance and I went to the hospital and you know, the ER doctor basically told me, he's like, you're healthy in every possible way, except that you know, you are so stressed out. He's like, you're, you're going to have a heart attack if you continue at this pace. And I'm only 33 years old. Like that's an insane thing to hear. Mm. And so basically I was in this position where it's like, I, I did this to myself. I got myself overworked. I got myself stressed out and I was really stuck as to what do I do with that? And ironically at the time I had just got a new book deal and my publisher was, it was still talking to me about the topic for the book. And they were, they were looking for a topic around time management. And I was like, well, I've got a really good idea for you. Let's discuss why this just happened to me and how, and my story about kind of getting out of that scenario. And so that's where my book kind of kicks in is that all this stuff that happened to me, I had to figure out like, how do I unlearn like the type A mentality? And how do I get myself into a position where I can have the balance I'm looking for, where I can still be ambitious and productive, uh, but not to the extreme level that I am burning myself out completely uh, to find myself in the hospital. And so that's kind of what all happened to me last year. And then I wrote my book based on kind of my story to really reshape how I approach my life now, how I make sure that I'm still doing the things I want to do, but I have a line in the sand as to what too much looks like now so that I don't cross that line a little too often. Yeah, and I think it's so important that we have that line in the sand because there, there's never a time where we end up like, I've got it all done or I have nothing else I want to achieve. I don't know how many times I've told my wife over the years and I had to get out of the habit of like, I wish there was five of me and <laughs> then I could get so much more done because I got so many ideas. And what we have figured out and what you, one of the things that you've discovered as well is that ambition has a dark side, that it can backfire on us. And I guess my question is, what do we do about that? It's a great question because I, I've been that ambitious guy for years. Like I've been the type A coffee drinking, go get them kind of guy for a long, long time. And I think for a long time, it worked well. Like for whatever reason, I was able to handle it. Like I was the kind of guy who was like, you know, give me the project. I'll just chug another coffee and go do it. Like I'll figure it out. And realizing that that's not sustainable, realizing that's not actually possible to do long term, that made me have to rethink how I approach scheduling my life. And so what you do when ambition is backfiring is you put yourself in a position to say, I, I expect that overwhelm and stress uh, is going to happen if I continue at the pace I'm going. I can see it, I can feel it, it's happening. And so I have to unwind that, that structure that I've built to, that's causing that reaction. And so what I saw in myself was not only, not only did I schedule too many things to begin with, but I left absolutely no room for margin. And so the first thing that I began to do as soon as I, you know, kind of ended this hospital stay was to figure out, okay, now I'm going to quit whenever I can. Now I'm going to only say yes to a few vital things so that my attention is only going to the very few things that matter most. Because I was the kind of guy that, and I still probably still am in many ways, the kind of guy that says yes to lots of things because I want to do a lot of stuff. But the only way that I'm going to be able to move forward and have a sustainable life and be healthy and, and active long-term is to say yes to the very few things that need to happen and say no to everything else. And saying no is tough. It requires a lot of courage. It requires a lot of boundary setting to know how to be able to do that. And so the only way that I have figured out how to limit my ambition is to say, I'm going to get super ambitious in a very focused way, like towards a couple of key things and put my whole self into those few things. 
But even inside of that, still having the boundaries set aside to make sure that I have time to exercise, time to sleep, time to eat right. And those things have to be just as, if not more important than the work that I'm also doing. And so that balance to me is kind of the magic equation. Uh, there's not a perfect answer for everybody, but there is a general sense that if you can figure out the few things that matter to you and you can give yourself fully to those things, the rest of the stuff kind of fades away. It doesn't really need to ever happen. And I feel like that's the, the, my big epiphany in the last year was that I was basically prioritizing everything as a top priority, but that's not possible. Only a few things can be. And so that was me. My struggle is figuring out what in my life now in this current season uh, deserves my attention and what can I just let go of? And I feel like that asking those kinds of questions is what allows you to be able to figure out uh, where to give your full energy and attention. And I love that. I think that's such a great insight that we can't give everything the same priority. We can't give everything the same amount of attention. And so we have to make those choices. And when we do, uh, we, first of all, you find that you actually can, can produce quality focused work in a short amount of time because you have narrowed down your focus and your ambition. So I love that. Now, when it comes, Jeff, to, um, I guess, defining free time, especially uh, I know for me, before I was able to blog full time and, and do this full time, I was uh, doing it on the side. And oftentimes I would do it first thing in the morning and squeeze it in the weekends. And whenever I found some quote unquote free time back then, I was trying to produce more work. Um, but now I look at it much differently as like free time or rest is not an enemy of productivity, but it's actually a partner. And so why, why do we, I guess, maybe can you define free time and why do we have a lot more of it than we think we do? Well, I look at free time in quite a different way than most people do. I think the average you know, or common response might be, well, free time is you know, those few hours at the end of the day after I've clocked out of work and I'm at home and I'm watching Netflix. Like That tends to be a pretty common response. But I feel like the way that I have approached free time is that all of your time is actually free time. Like Every minute of every single day is free time. Now, what that actually means is that you have the choice of how to spend your day. You can do whatever you want whenever you want. I know it's kind of a bold statement because it really implies that, you know, you have complete control of your life. And that's the point. And I think that I had a big mindset shift in this um, a few years ago, but it's really played out more so in the last 12 months in that if I have the mentality that all of my time is my own, then I get to control it more. I get to opt in and say yes to the things that matter and then intentionally opt out of the things that aren't as important to me. And so in a very practical way, that literally means like saying yes again to the things you're already saying yes to if those things matter to you, like going to the current job you go to or the business you're trying to run or the family that you have, like recommitting to the things that matter and then being able to really decide if everything else needs to stay or not. And so I say that because we, we look at free time as saying, oh, I only have an hour or two in the weekends to do what I really want to do. But I view it as you have your whole life to do whatever it is you want to do. You just have to figure out what matters and how you can give yourself fully to the few things you're going to be able to have time for. And like that, that shift there will, could literally change everything in how you approach your life. And that's what I'm trying to get across in the book. I think I've done so. And, and the way that says, if all your time is your time, then here's a way to kind of go about making sure that you can say yes to those things that matter most uh, because you are in control of your time. 
Yeah, and I love that long-term perspective because I think it's it's so easy for us to get stuck in the short term, right? We put so much weight in what's in front of us and we devalue the long-term of what we can get done and what we're able to do. And I think that um, that's such a good point. So in our correspondence, kind of emailing back and forth, one of the things you kind of sent me that you said we can talk about is the number one addiction of 90% of Americans. So I got to know what this is. Um, I'm curious. You got to fill me in on it. And also, how could we break this thing that um, we're so addicted to? Well, it's a thing I've already mentioned a few times, which is caffeine. Uh, that's a thing that I have personally been kind of hooked on for a long time, probably since I was like 13 or 14 years old. Um, I've looked this up many times. There's, the numbers here vary. 90% of Americans tends to be a pretty common number I've seen that most Americans tend to drink caffeine uh, most days, if not every single day. And when I was doing some research this summer, I was looking into ways to do some um, ways to kind of back away from some addictions I had. Like, let's say I took a month with no alcohol or a month with, you know, no carbs or whatever it is I want to try to do. And ultimately, what I realized is that the number one thing that I tend to lean on that I never questioned was having my daily coffee. And in fact, I was having, you know, three, four, five coffees a day sometimes um, because once again, I view myself as this ambitious, you know, type A guy and I want to get stuff done. But once I realized like coffee could be kind of a central role in my life that's actually not serving me. And so I decided to take 30 days off of absolutely no caffeine. And that was a super tough month. Like it was the biggest smack in the face, like way harder than anything else I've ever given up. And like seven years ago, I went vegan and I've done all kinds of, you know, personal experiments with my diet and health. And I, I can tell you that the hardest thing I ever gave up was coffee. And it's in, incredible just how, how much control that, that can have over the way you function. And it definitely affected my health. It definitely affected my stress levels. Uh, it was such a powerful force in my life that I never really gave credit to. And so by walking away from it for 30 days, I mean, none of it, I was able to then now, I mean, I'm still drinking some of it now, but I came back into it much more slowly. So now I have basically one or two at most cups per day that are much lower in caffeine. And so I'm living a life that's got a lot more balance built into it. So if I want to take a nap today, I could, or go to bed early, it would be healthier to do so. And so my kind of one of my personal missions with having more free time in my life really says that I have more time for sleep. That's one thing that I tend to neglect. And in order to do that, I have to have a whole like life built around the possibility of me going to bed on time. And that includes reducing, reducing caffeine. And if like so many people just don't even consider this, like they just assume that, you know, I could give up alcohol, I could give up sweets, I could give up whatever it is I'm hooked on. Uh, but for some reason, caffeine is rarely on that list, if ever. And so I feel like if you really want to kind of re-examine how you're, you're living day to day with your stress levels, with your activity, with your ability to kind of reconnect with being healthy and having the time you need, letting go of coffee can be one of those things. Uh, as hard as it is and hard as it sounds like it would be, um, it is worth making that decision, even on a short-term basis, to try it out. Because you learn a lot about yourself and kind of what, how your body responds to those things. I think it's really powerful uh, to, at the very least, give it a shot and, and just see what happens. Yeah, that's a great lesson. So many bloggers, podcasters, people that are trying to build, build their audience, uh, they're doing this on the side. And for a lot of them, they finally find some time in their schedule where they can work on their passion. But then it's like all these distractions come in some of its internal distractions, outward distractions, how can we block distractions when we really need to get some important work done? 
Well, this is one thing I focused on actually quite a bit to write the book itself. Um, I kind of use the same strategies that I talk about in the book, uh, which for me, when I do important work, let's say it's usually creative work or writing projects or things that require my total focus, is I create what I call an FBOT. It's F-B-O-T, focused block of time. And in that focus block of time, what I'm attempting to do is have a distraction-free environment, like a place where I can go, where I can get my best work done, and literally nothing can stop me from doing that thing I want to go do. And so for the book, I actually went to a library here in Nashville where I live and found a little cubby in the corner where I could hide away and do my work, you know, have access to a Starbucks nearby, access to a bathroom, you know, but also and some Wi-Fi. So I had the few basic you know, requirements to get my work done. But also, nobody knew I was there. Uh, my phone was turned off. I was able to just sit and do my work for you know, four or five hours at a time, do all of my work, and then get out. And with those kinds of focus blocks, I'm able to truly get incredible amounts of work done. And the, the key to the whole thing being that it was built on this idea that if I don't intentionally, you know, upfront block every possible distraction, then I will succumb to those. And I will eventually find myself, you know, not doing the thing I went to go do. And I think it's, it requires a lot of intentionality and a lot of pre-planning and a lot of knowing you know, what you have to do to guarantee you can get as much focus as possible. Uh, not everybody can have a distraction-free environment completely, but there is so much power we have to be able to figure out, like even as simple ways to turn your phone off or hide in, in, a, in a corner of the library, whatever it takes, you figure out what those things are. And when you do them, uh, the power to get work done is just so amazing to me. Like every time I have one of these focus blocks, I'm just amazed at how much I can get done. And so my goal every week is to figure out how many more of these blocks can I built into my schedule so I can get more work done. And, and that really is my focus. Even though I work from home and you think I could do that here, my home is so distracting. Like mm -hmm. there's so much always going on that even working from here is so difficult sometimes. So I have to leave to go find a place to make sure I can get work done. And I feel like that is the biggest challenge. Yeah, and it's such a great tip because I do the exact same thing. Every Wednesday morning, I leave my home because I'm here, I'm working all the time. There's so many distractions here, but I go, I always go to Panera Bread and it's my writing morning. That's where I go to write and I get my writing done for the week, whatever it is, it's on my plate and I'm there usually until about noon and I feel like it, it gives me such clarity of focus because I know why I'm going. I am in a different environment and I'm there for a particular purpose and uh, that works well for me. So I operate the same and I That's encourage great. everybody to do that. Uh, what about when it comes to actual like scheduling on the calendar? Do you have any best calendar strategies for, for making sure we schedule what matters? Yeah, I have a, an intentional review process that I go through every week where I look at my calendar to figure out, you know, what's going to get on my calendar that week. And, you know, yes, there are things that are kind of already scheduled there, but I always intentionally go back and kind of rethink this, the calendar in terms of, you know, if this calendar was blank this week, what would I fill it with? Like, what would get my attention? And so it usually starts for me with, you know, what are my current, you know, few goals I'm working towards? Um, usually every quarter, I have about three goals I'm working towards. And so I will take a look at my task list for those projects and figure out, you know, what's the next most important action that has to take place with these big priorities of mine. And then I will make sure I have guaranteed time on the calendar uh, to move those projects forward every week. Uh, so basically saying like if I'm going to be working on, you know, let's say a, a personal health goal, like running a marathon, I'll guarantee I have marathon training time on the calendar. Or if I'm going to write my next book, I'll guarantee that I have time on the calendar uh, to, to write. 
And so I want to make sure that whatever matters to me is going to get some guaranteed focused time on the calendar intentionally every week. And then if anything else pops up, if there's anything else I'd like to get done, those you know, lesser priorities would then get scheduled in the margins around the few things that matter most. And having that approach is basically Stephen Covey's big rocks approach, where you're really asking yourself every week, like, what are those big rocks, those big, super important things that I definitely don't want to miss? And you have to be intentional about guaranteeing time for those things. And it's tough because when the day actually shows up, that's when you get the emails and the phone calls, and the distractions and all the interruptions and all the new things you didn't see coming. So there also has to be some guaranteed free time on your calendar just to capture those things that you cannot yet see coming that you know will show up on that day. And I feel like that is probably the hardest part and the one that needs to be the most intentional is making sure you never over schedule a day or as I view it, I intentionally under schedule every day, uh, mm -hmm. knowing full well that that time will be filled with something. And so I just need to make sure that I can anticipate that and plan ahead knowing it's going to happen. Yeah, and I know one of the mistakes that I had to figure out along the way was um, our calendar has a tendency to fill up as we get closer to that mm, time. Yeah. And so I would always look out at my calendar a month out and I would make these commitments. And then as I got closer, I'm like, why did I make that commitment? I don't have time for that. And it's because we had that kind of false assumption that we look forward in our calendar and, and don't see everything but as it gets closer, we realize how much is on our plate and it's easy to do. And, and I know I've been more intentional about that and it's been better. Um, now, one of the things you talk about is the value of sabbaticals. And uh, sabbaticals can have a different feel and, and length of time and, and uh, all that. I have a friend of mine who's a blogger friend who took the entire year off last year as a sabbatical. Now, he has got... Um, uh, operations manager in place to manage the blog and but he just really wanted to, to take that time off and one of the goals that I've set this year is to take the entire month of July off as a sabbatical really to help recharge for me to to um, to not be so dependent on my identity of productivity and work um, and it's something that I'm planning now and looking forward to now Everybody may not be able to take a month off and they might be able to take a year off, but there's some values in sabbaticals. Can you talk about kind of the value of sabbaticals when it comes to planning, reflecting, focusing? Yeah, I think those ideas of a year off and a month off are phenomenal. Obviously, those are kind of harder to admit to pull off for some people, but I think that just the idea of taking it seriously, of saying that I'm going to, you know, intentionally schedule some time off where my plan is to reflect and to plan and to kind of look at my life from a more kind of a bigger picture perspective. I find that that kind of time is so valuable. And actually, I basically kind of pseudo adopted a new schedule where I'm trying out this year as one of my personal experiments, where I'm going to take every seventh week off as a sabbatical. And I just had my first kind of week off last week, actually. And I did a very poor job of this. And so what I realized is that there is, it's got to be incredibly strict boundaries around the time off that you want to set for yourself uh, to make sure you get the reflection you need. I know that last week was actually still really helpful for me. I did, I did a lot of kind of personal hobby projects. I did some woodworking. I was kind of trying some other new things with the intention of saying, I'm going to take my creative energy and, like, and refocus it and, and go somewhere else with it so that when I come back to my work after my time off, I am refreshed, I am replenished, I am ready to begin again with a lot more of my brain cells ready to go. 
And I feel like that kind of time has got to be built in ahead of time. And I have not been that intentional about this in the past. And it's one thing that I'm much more aware of now and I've built into my schedule. And I'm still trying to figure out the, the details to pull it off well, but the intention behind it is still there, which is that if you have the guaranteed time set aside to look at your life from the bigger picture and to really ask yourself tougher questions, often that's when you make, have the big epiphanies. And that's when you're able to then shift gears and, and pivot and make the bigger choices. Uh, just last week, I wrapped up a project uh, that I really wanted to get finished that had been bugging me for a while. I got it done. And then as soon as I finished it, the very next day, my brain just got flooded with new ideas. It was as if like I had mentally kind of like closed a door and then all of a sudden just tons of new stuff showed up, which I realized like that's what happens when, you're, when you give yourself the opportunity uh, to wrap something up and then to reflect and ask yourself like, what am I going to do now? It's incredible just how much creativity shows up in those moments. Uh, but they don't happen if you're constantly busy. They never happen if you're moving all the time. And so you have to have time to decide to not do anything, to literally just take a break and, and, and move away from the work you usually do. So when you come back to it, uh, you then have that fresh energy, which is such a, a critical component of being able to, to be creative long-term and to have new fresh ideas and, and to do, do better work long-term. Like all of that requires that rhythm that comes from working hard and then taking a really serious break. Yeah, this is great advice. I, I know a couple years ago when I started realizing the bad habits that I had of pulling my work into the weekends because mm -hmm. I loved my work so much. And if there wasn't like something on the schedule or we weren't supposed to go somewhere and I'm at home, the laptop's right there. It's easy to open it up and just do a little work and what's it going to hurt. And I started realizing, you know what? I, I need to be able to unplug a couple of times a week, just like totally unplug, find something else to refocus my energy in just like you talked about and I remember the very first Saturday I did this, I'm literally pacing around my house. And my wife is like, why are you pacing? <laughs> and I said, I don't know what to do. And I admitted it. That was actually the worst thing I could have done because I ended up with a honey-do list and I was at Home Depot within 30 minutes. <laughs> but it was good for me. And I would encourage everyone to to do what Jeff is talking about and find those times, even if that sabbatical is a weekend if it is a 24 hour thing and just allow yourself to focus your energy into, into something else where maybe you can plan or reflect or just focus that energy. So great advice. Um, but I do have to ask you because I I've been there and I still am there from time to time. What's I need like ideas because I will just pace. I'll walk around. I don't know what to do with my free time. What are some uh, ideal things to do or what are some best things to do during your free time? This has been a question I've asked myself a lot that I discussed in the book and I've got tons of ideas for it, but it's one that I continue to wrestle with because I think it's, it's an ever evolving answer to the question because your free time could be used for like literally an infinite number of things. You could do whatever you want. And I think that's kind of the point. Uh, but with that comes a sense of like, well, what do I choose that if I could do anything, how to make a decision? And I tend to lean back on a couple of key things uh, that have worked well for me in the past that I know that if I do them, they'll work well for me in the future. Uh, the first of which is just simple exercise. Just go for a run, go to the gym and lift weights, do something to move my body. And I, I prioritize that because I know that if I have a free moment, I probably haven't worked out in a while. I should go work out again. And that gives me such energy and, and an ability to come back to my work again, feeling so much healthier and better. So the first thing I usually prioritize is exercise by itself. 
The second thing I tend to lean on that I've done more re recently well is a creative project that is not related to my actual work. So I recently just actually built a set of cornhole boards, uh, cornhole being like a, you know, beanbag toss game. I, I built a couple of these boards just because I wanted to do something with my time that was off the computer, you know, working with my hands, building something, painting something, uh, just as a creative outlet to not actually spend time you know, in a digital space. And it was so incredible. Like I really got a lot of value out of just spending time in my garage building something. And I think that that simple activity really gave me a sense of purpose for my time off, a sense of a, a goal and a direction. And now I have an end product that's finished that I can look at and admire. And so it feels like I was a good use of my time. And so I'm looking for ways to replenish myself in a way that's going to feel refreshing as opposed to just saying, well, I have free time. I'm going to go watch more TV. Like that just never fills me up. It never makes me feel that much better. It might initially for the first few minutes, but at the end of the day, it's like that that didn't do it for me. So what is it that I can do that's going to make me feel so much better and happier tomorrow? And that tends to be something that's, you know, creative or something that moves my body or something that gives me, gives me involved in my own life in some way. And so that's what I'm trying to look for is anything that fits those kinds of, of perspectives there. Because you really want to say like, my life is going to, you know, at the end of the day, I need to look back and say, like, I spent the time well. So what does that mean to you? Like, what fills you up? And make sure that the time off you have uh, is spent doing those things that will allow you to, to feel that way. Love it. So the book's coming out. The free time formula, finding happiness, focus, and productivity, no matter how busy you are. I'd encourage all of you to go pick it up. We can all use some of the wisdom and advice that's contained in this book. And uh, at the time of this being published, uh, for you guys, depending on when you're listening to it, it could still be on pre-order. It might be live. This is a brand new book Jeff's putting out. Jeff, where is the best place for people to go to get more info on the book? Well, at jeffsanders.com, it's my home base. You'll see a big picture of the book right there on the homepage. Uh, you can click right there. You'll get all the info you need as far as uh, where to get a copy of the book to learn more about it. I'll have some bonuses there as well, some freebies to give away. So yeah, check out jeffsanders.com. Awesome. Jeff, thanks again for being here, for sharing this conversation. I know some people needed to hear this today, and I know I, yeah, I even picked up some tips just uh, from your story. So I, it's awesome. Thanks again for sharing. Yeah, thank you.